I think that the scaling up is both a blessing and a curse, I would say, because really going into the industry and from a, a vast experience of one year, uh, what I can now say is that really you have the opportunity to ask any question you want if you see really an, an operative end to it and collect the data you want and kind of apply um, every tool in the toolbox and outside of it. That's amazing, but that also forces you to focus and that forces you to really on a, very intensively on a, and consistently on a daily basis to ask yourself whether you're in the direction that you want it to be at and whether this direction is going in, in a way that is going to succeed. And that's really, like Iran mentioned, is really one of, of our, my day-to-day jobs to really make sure that this is where I'm going and this is where the company is going. Good morning, Iran, and good morning, Gali. Good morning. Morning. Thank you for joining today. How are you guys doing? Perfect. Again, thank you for joining. Uh, I'm very excited to share with the listeners the, uh, the both of your stories, which are unique, and their intersection is great. And in this interse- intersection lives uh, a great venture with an awesome idea called Protei, and we will talk in length about it and what uh, uh, what is the unmet need you come to uh, to augment and, and to solve. But uh, first of all, Iran um, Seger, you're the CEO and co-founder of Protei, and you come with come with massive experience from uh, one of the top Israeli military intelligence unit with a lot of technological background and an executive background in cybersecurity and a passion and family background in biology and in, in academics and, uh, and really all lean into uh, from cybersecurity into the world of biology. So welcome, we accept everyone. <laughs> and, Gali, and Gali, we met uh, during uh, our PhD at uh, Tel Aviv University. I was with Karen Avram and you were with Professor Tommy Geiger specializing in, in in the proteomics, high throughput analysis of our protein and, 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 and understanding the correlation. Specifically, you did uh, cancer, right? Melanoma? Yes, um, spe- I specifically, most of my PhD was dedicated to breast cancer uh, with another project in glioblastoma, but mostly focusing on breast cancer heterogeneity, both between tumors and within a tumor. Right, that's, that's a fascinating field to be. And as a direct progression from this, uh, you are the first hire of both AI and really leading the, uh, the aspect of computation biology in, in, in this. So this short, very short intro, I would love to hear more. So Eran, take it away. What, tell us a bit about yourself and what are you doing today? Thank you. Thank you for having us. Uh, I think, uh, thank you for the kind words also for the, the introduction. Uh, so I'm, uh, I do everything as a CEO, you know, uh, water the plants and uh, do most of the strategy business, uh, hiring and et cetera, et cetera. It's still a small company. Protai is uh, about 20 people company located in uh, Israel, uh, headquarters in Tel Aviv, uh, like the new kind of uh, biotech. And uh, in general, we're solving tough problems in cancer biology using new layers of intelligence, new layers of data on the proton level. And I think that's, uh, that also reflects the background you just mentioned about both us and the majority of, uh, of people inside the company. Uh, the, the company was founded around the idea that uh, the majority of computational AI drug discovery companies are focused on genomics and transcriptomics for their computational efforts. And by adding new layers of intelligence and data on the proteome level, uh, proteins, their interactions, their modifications, we can better understand what's happening in mechanisms of resistance, compensation, 
and uh, synthetic authority and use that to create both better targets for, uh, for complex diseases and understand who will respond to a specific target. So that's the basis uh, around uh, what, what the problem we're trying to solve. And uh, that's also why uh, we brought the brilliant people such as Gali to, to lead this intersection between proteomics and technology to, to help us uh, solve this very complex problem using new layers of data. So, Gali, why, why is proteomics is, is different? Like, why is the result is different than just using genomics and transcriptomics? Why just, like, understanding what is in our I, gene? All right. So I thought you'd never ask. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> We haven't planned. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, um, I was asking myself the same question back when I started my PhD. Um, so, I was looking to... I just graduated from a bachelor degree in biology and psychology, and I was um, really looking to do something that has more of a, an application in the real world and was kind of looking for something more computational, but with a scientific biological end to it, because at that time I was in a lab that's doing cancer research, you know, another topic, and, but I wanted to really combine these two worlds. Um, and so that led to me joining the lab of Professor Tommy Geiger um, because, well, I was looking for something that combines cancer and computational biology, and that was uh, really one of the few options back then. Um, and Tommy was also um, leading her lab in a way that allows people that are not necessarily from a computational background to enter this world and learn the computational component on the way, which is what I, what I was looking for. Um, and that was the first time I encountered the, the world or the realm of proteomics. Um, and what I realized back at that point is that it's a developing, growing technology. It's not, it's on its way of proving itself um, and establishing itself. And I was excited about the opportunity of being a part of such a thing. Um, and, and I remember that as part of my small due diligence of the lab before joining, I was asking as, as other professors about proteomics and I really didn't get answers. Um, I, I had the feeling that they don't have the answers and that it's really very new. And as part of my PhD, I wanted to combine, during my research, to also combine me finding answers for this question, why proteomics? I felt that Tommy back then had really good answers and I wanted to find answers of my own. So now answering your question, <laughs> um, years of research, uh, specifically in the world of cancer research, because that's what I'm focusing on, have shown that um, the correlation between gene expression and protein expression in cancer tissues compared to normal tissues is very, is modest at its best. Um, and I can talk numbers if you want, but let's say focus on the point. Um, and it's really um, on both the level of the, the gene itself, so the same gene might have a level, a certain level of expression um, in the RNA level and a totally different level of expression in the protein level, and that's obviously regulated um, by post-translational modifications and other protein level regulations that are not uh, reflected in the genetic or the transcriptomic level, um, but also on the pathway level. So there are pathways that, con or like cellular pathways and cellular processes that as a whole are expressing in completely different levels um, in uh, the genetic and in the proteomic level. And, um, and, and that's even more interesting because if you look at a pathway, then some people might look at it as just as this single entity, a pathway of glycolysis in, um, in a cell, but really this pathway is, um, well, is comprised of many, many components, of many, many proteins. And eventually when you target a protein, uh, with a drug, then you target a specific protein, and that specific protein can either be very highly correlated or very lowly correlated, and you need to be focused on that protein or that gene to really understand the mechanism and see whether your drug is going to, um, to actually do something in the cell. Um, so that's one aspect of it. And the other aspect of it is that um, cancer genomics has, well, back at that time when I started my PhD, it's been like, well, I would say not to the hype, but really like kind of the final years of the hype of cancer genomics where lots of data has been accumulated um, in huge consortia like projects uh, to study and sequence 
thousands of tumors from dozens of different cancer types, uh, genomically and transcriptomically. And really the big promise of cancer therapeutics was driver mutations and to identify those mutations that drive cancer and then we can target them and then we can eliminate the disease. Um, but in reality, um, this promise eventually translates to um, many targeted treatments, but they eventually target less than 20% of the patient population that harbor these mutations. And they're effective um, on less even. Exactly. That's, <laughs> well, that's exactly what I was going to say. And with 50% of responders out of those less than 20% in the best case scenarios. Um, and so the answer is not only there. And we, of course, we're not the only ones trying to tackle this problem. Um, but really, when you, when you come to think about it, the drug is labeled or your, the, the patient is labeled based on their mutation, but the drug eventually attacks a protein. Um, and if we, and if, for example, and, and the mutation on the genetic level, the genetic level is, is a static thing, right? Either there's a mutation or there isn't. But the eventual functional um, um, uh, consequence of that mutation is reflected in the protein level. And it could very well be that a certain patient um, is mutant in a certain gene and the patient next to it um, is not, but they have the same proteomic profile. So that's, and that's something that we've seen very often. So why proteomics? Well, because of this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so it's not, it's, it's not um, a one-layer kind of problem. It's the ability to... to to really look at different layers and look at different components in this layer. Uh, basically everything is thanks to, uh, you know, people who start gaming and allows us to have GPUs and then they hire mm -hmm. best computers mm -hmm. and then combining this with like capabilities that, that like you or the, the true AI, okay. The, the true human intelligence come in and, and bring into this. So Iran, I can understand the path of, like doing a master's and then a PhD research and getting into it. And you can, like, people can see us, but Gali is passionate about, about her science. It, you can see in her face that it, it lights her up and she, she, she loves it. You did a different path and ended up in solving problems that, uh, that makes an impact in human health. And I'm, I'm, like, I'm, I'm dying for you to, you know, share this, like what led you to, to this? So my career and my real passion is, solving very difficult problems using combination of modalities and combination of technologies and not only being, uh, you know, one trick pony and, and creating better uh, ammunition. That's what I was raised up in, uh, in, the, in my career in uh, Unit 81 and the intelligence forces. And this is what I believe in today. And this is also the talented intersection we're trying to create here at Proti between engineers AI experts, biologists, chemists, and etc. And I think that uh, working as a team of uh, multidisciplinary minds is the real enabler to solve these very tough uh, problems. About myself, so I started uh, as a son of a cancer professor, as you uh, said, Professor Ronnie Seeger from the Weizmann Institute, and I was always passionate about what's happening and how to, to create a better cure for cancer. It was the mission, mission statement since I was born, since I was conceived even. Uh, and uh, following this, I also uh, did my bachelor's already in, during my high school studies in bioinformatics with the rays of the genomics uh, early 2000. And actually in the starting days when I was 14, my real ambition was to be a professor for bioinformatics. And I think uh, uh, once you're a geek in Israel, you you get disrupted by the the military. And, and uh, I I still I think that the end game, the end goal, is the same both in academia and in high tech industry uh, intelligence. But the methods I really preferred the methods coming from high-tech than the methods coming from academia. It's more cutting bullshit, agile, real-time. You know, we in Protei, we work in intervals of two weeks solving a problem and not like, and 17 people, I think this is the main difference. All the 17 people that work in Protei work towards the same problem 
are trying to solve the same problem, combining different uh, skills, while most of the academic groups work in silos. Each student works on one problem and then goes and finishes his PhD and moves to the next thing. And here you can get a critical mass of people and intelligence to, to really solve the problem. And I think that this method is much more appealing in my eyes to really create a cure for cancer and like solve this very tough uh, problem that goes through my veins since I was a, a young child. Also, uh, uh, anecdote, my, uh, my partner in life, my wife, my role model is also in the drug discovery. She does actually RNA therapeutics. So we have very interesting uh, conversations during dinners. She's in a genomics in the RNA background, not molecular genomics from the Weizmann Institute. So, uh, but she also believes in proteomics and I also believe in genomics. So it's a... Uh, Oh, that's not, that's uh, an interesting <laughs> dinner. <laughs> yeah, totally. Uh, so I think uh, I think the the purpose is the same, right? If you you have a a clinical uh, or a translational lab, or you have a startup company, uh, the, the main the purpose, the end game, the goal is quite the same, but the uh, the journey is different, and I think that the journey of Biotech is it's much more, and like not only biotech, but startups that are led by founders and startups that are highly uh, hungry to succeed and to create better drugs are uh, the right path for me in my DNA or in my proteomics to, to, to solve such a tough uh, problem. So that's why I decided to take all of my knowledge and all of my ability as a intelligence officer and then as an executive in the cybersecurity area and how to create good uh, startups and building companies and leverage this knowledge into creating a new kind of engineering-led and AI-led uh, pharma, biopharma company uh, when I started the prototype. So that, that's, I think, the main trigger for me. Uh, also, you know, I, I got exhausted in uh, studying, so I stopped after my uh, master's, and I decided to start learning from uh, great podcasts such as yours and uh, other uh, non-formal uh, manners of, uh, of studying, and I still read at least a paper a night and before bed. It's a good way to fall asleep, and I still... Uh, <laughs> Uh, le learn a lot, but I, I, as a people person, I, I prefer to learn from self, both self-learning and from brilliant people that they surround myself, such as Gali and other uh, brilliant uh, and very uh, interesting and multidisciplinary team that we brought to, to Protect. So that's, uh, that's my two cents on why, why I prefer the philosophy of, of high-tech versus biology and versus academia. I have, a, I have a question for you as a, as, a, as a CEO and founder, coming from a different yeah. field. Okay, so you're coming from tech and going to raise money for biotech, basically, right. or, or tech bio, okay? But let's call it biotech to keep it simple. How was that perceived? Uh, so to which, which investors did you went, get, went first? The one that you knew from being a tech executive or you went all the way into those who are in, more interested in, in biotech and how you were perceived? So still, I'll start with the, the notion that I think most of the real innovation and disruption that is uh, uh, coming to traditional uh, traditional industries, it can be the car industries, it can be the healthcare industry, energy industry does not come from people that come from inside, but comes from people that leverage other capabilities and, uh, uh, and uh, take that towards the new way, like changing the way things are done. So I think that our idea in uh, taking all of our knowledge from the tech industries and then uh, and taking that to the biotech industry was actually the most appealing thing for investors and for ourselves and why we, sh we would succeed where others 
uh, did not because we bring a unique, fresh, young, hungry, scrappy uh, attitude towards uh, a very, may uh, I uh, not in criticism say old school uh, industry that is mostly non-founder uh, even uh, built. So the majority of biotech companies are even are built by VCs, are built by incubators, are not built by founders. So the uniqueness comes from taking people from another industry and uh, taking their skills into this industry. So that was the main uh, motive around our uh, investment and around our formation of the company. And following that line, we, we mainly went to, to investors that are on this intersection between uh, healthcare and technology and deep technology. And we found uh, two amazing investors, both in uh, Pitengo Healthcare that have a very strong background in platform companies that uh, combine technology and, uh, and uh, biology uh, and uh, with uh, Grow Ventures that also uh, um, combined the understanding in biology and uh, this uh, magnificent uh, um, industry and the importance of uh, taking deep tech and uh, entering deep tech into this realm, such as uh, with other companies also they have in their portfolio, such as uh, Nuclei, which also were... Uh, attended your podcast, I think, uh, a couple of months back. Yeah. So basically, breaking the patterns is the, is the way to make new, new shapes in this field. Uh, Gali, you were the first hire in PortAI, coming with massive experience and, and you're doing something you're passionate about. But at the end of a PhD, you have a, you have a, like a bifurcation event, a life decision moment that you need to, it's not in, in necessarily in the end of the PG, it's towards the end. It can take a year, year and a half that you need to prepare for it and, 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 and do all your diligent on moving and, and everything. So take us into this process, industry or going the, the route we were educated in, what, what you asked yourself and, um, if possible, what you asked your mentor, like who you chose as a mentor for this journey or decision. All right. So as you said, it really wasn't an easy decision to make. And really, it's not like it's not meeting you when you reach the end of your PhD. You start thinking about it really roughly a year prior to that. Um, and this obviously gets even more complicated when when babies get into the picture. Um, and as Israelis, uh, we are very bonded with our families, uh, close and far, like the near and the far family. So it's, um, it's not very easy to make the transition. Um, but really, um, this has been a very a roller coaster for me. In the beginning of my academic path, I, I didn't start my PhD thinking I'll become a professor. I think I'll become a PI and, and open my own lab. Um, I, as I said earlier, I really wanted to, I started my kind of higher education. Well, after my bachelor's, I started my master's and PhD, um, thinking I can develop, um, capabilities and skills that are well, more of a hard skill, um, computational skills, uh, with the biologic end to that. Um, so that when I finish my path, then I have more options than I have at that moment. Um, and I can then choose whether I want to pursue a career in academy or maybe to try and try a different thing outside the academy. And so that was my thoughts back in the beginning. And when I reached the, um, the decision-making part to, towards the end of my PhD, um, it took me a while to remember that. Um, I was really, um, I was in a really big conflict, mostly around the, the concept of moving. Um, but I, I wanted the experience. I wanted to transition to a new place, um, to a place that's doing, like that's also different from where I live uh, in the atmosphere and everything, but also different in the type of research they do, uh, where I can bring what I learned and, and make my contribution, but also learn new things. Um, and, and after a while, 
of, of thinking about it, I realized that this is really what I want. This is I, what I want is this different experience in a different place. And then I'll see where this gets me. Um, and it, and in fact, I think, well, my husband was very supportive of going and he, he even wanted to move more than I wanted, which actually made the decision much harder because it would have been much easier if he said, listen, I don't want to move. We're staying here. Then someone else would make the decision for me. And that would have been really easy. But, um, but he was so supportive. So that's very problematic. Um, anyway, um, I was really already kind of... Um, um, well, in acceptance with the fact that this is where I'm going. And I was planning on using this year to make those plans and, and find a lab and find funding and so on. And I was also kind of waiting for COVID to kind of disappear uh, so that the sky would be more open and that my parents can come over whenever I want. Um, but then uh, something else happened. <laughs> and Ran and Kirill, well, were introduced, we were introduced uh, by a common friend um, who told me that, listen, uh, I know this guy, uh, they want to do something with proteomics, can I make an introduction? I said, yeah, sure. And um, I remember I was sitting in the lab and um, and like one second after she made the introduction, Iran called me. And <laughs> and back then, I, I should have known back then that he has zero patience. <laughs> and uh, if he wants something, then like he, he's not going to wait until he gets it. And um, it's a and different time really... scale. It's a different time scale. Yes. Yes, definitely. Yeah. Um, and and back in our first call, I already felt like that something big just happened. Like I've, I mean, there was still no proti. There wasn't. There wasn't even a name for the company. There was no company. There was just. There were just thoughts and intentions. Um, but I felt like that this is something that's going to change my life, and um, and really from that point on, um, I think maybe a week after that talk, we already had our first meeting uh, in the university and. And Tammy, my supervisor, was really part of this process um, um, because already at the beginning, we wanted her to also join as an advisor and be part of that. Um, and, and it wasn't very um, straightforward like back then, but it was already obvious that I'm going to make a choice. Um, and it took me roughly two months of back and forth of trying of maybe dividing my time 50% with um, kind of a bridging postdoc and 50% working in Poti, but um, eventually I, I realized two things. A, that there's no 50-50 in such a setting. There's 100-100, and, like, and it's not going to work. Um, and second, uh, I at that point, I suddenly remembered what I told myself back in the beginning of my PhD, that I when I started this process, I didn't necessarily want to be in academia. I wanted doors to open for me. I thought, I thought to myself, listen, proteomics is a new technology. In a couple of years from now, people will know it's the next best thing. People will want people like you to, to join their companies and to do something that really there are few people with that type of know-how. That, that was when you started your yes. PhD. Okay. Yeah. I had a vision, <laughs> a hope. I don't you, know. You had a dream and, and, <laughs> yes. and the word shared it. It's good. <laughs> yes. And sometimes um, dreams come true and Prota yeah, helps that. <laughs> yeah. So I, so I told myself, this is the opportunity. I mean, I wasn't look as, as uh, I mean, it's obvious from what I'm saying, but I wasn't looking to just do something in the industry because I didn't want to be in the academy anymore. I wouldn't want to do, I guess maybe a single cell RNA is a hype in the industry, in the industry not only, but I wouldn't want to just use my skills to do something that everybody does. Uh, but if a suggestion such as Ran and Kirill's to do what I've been doing and loving for the past five to six years comes along the way, then it would be kind of crazy to to say no to it. So, um, so yeah, I guess that was, I mean, it might sound easy to make this decision now that I'm describing it, but it was really a long process of of digesting it and, and understanding the consequences and of, of saying yes and or of saying no. Um, and, and eventually that came up to a point where I submitted my PhD thesis on the July 1st and started the first day in Protai on August 1st of the same year, um, celebrating a year roughly now 
Um, yeah. Oh, that, that's great. And, and it's really important to, uh, I think, so we touched upon this with in many, many other interviews that when you have your values lined up and, and when you have a big decision, you, you have something, some basis to refer to and you say, okay, I already had this idea and I knew what I wanted. Does that align with this? It opens up a new door. How do I weigh it? Like this, okay, that, this is this is basic risk assessment. So yeah, that, that's something that we, you, people are amazed that you get to end of the PhD and you just go with the flow instead of asking those tough questions and, and getting into, into uh, opportunities like this. And, and I completely relate. So I, it, it, four months before I was supposed to go to the postdoc, to a postdoc, everything is set, okay? And then four months before we left, everything is set. We have visas, we have everything. We start selling all our stuff in, in Israel. A great opportunity came along with a great idea, with great team of co-founders. And I said, fuck it, I'm, I'm going to do, I'm going to do, I'm going to try and do both. I don't know, like do a postdoc and be a co-founder in a, in a company with like a small, it was amazing and, and a great learning curve. So one point that we that we talked about in the in the in our talk before we started recording is um, a term that is almost like a taboo word, like the the the, the name that we should not speak in in in, in academia, and it's uh, it's the main thing in tech scale. Okay, so Gali, take us into the world of scaling up science. Okay. And 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 Iran, take us take us also into the world of of taking this scale up science into an actual market. That's that's very intriguing. All right. So um, really, in relation to my previous answer, so one of the of the advantages in this process of decision making, one of the advantages in taking um, the offer from Proti was really that, um, well. As you said, it, it would be to scale up the science I've been doing. Um, and what I mean, and, and I, I admit, and I confess that when I used this word, I didn't know it was a taboo word. I really, I used it because I felt that this is really what it's going to be like. Um, because um, what, and what I mean when I say it is that um, when you're in academia, um, you, you do your research. And as Aran said earlier, you do it sometimes, I mean, you obviously work with it under the supervision of a professor, but you really, you do it by yourself. Um, and you find out by yourself uh, what you think is interesting and you pursue that. Um, and eventually things have to, um, um, well, to converge into some story on, or some concept and you publish a paper. And that paper, and your success is measured by the publication of this paper. And that paper can be read or it can be never read. Um, but, and you're happy that you published and then you're successful because you're published. Um, but that's kind of where it ends. So I'll put aside my criticism of measuring success with number of publications and having to, to converge or to finish up, to wrap up a scientific story just because you have to publish. That's for a different kind of conversation. Um, but really, in a way, um, no matter how translational you define your lab as, that really would always be kind of more basic research than translational, because you find something, you, you manage to publish it, and then your conclusions, your findings are somewhere, and someone might use them, um, but you really have no follow-up on that. And, um, and my thought back then was that in the industry, that's that just cannot be. I mean, you have to pursue questions that has an applicable end to it uh, because it's driven by money eventually. And um, and really, the, and therefore, the questions you'll ask, the tools you'll apply, the, the type of analysis you'll perform are driven by really the, um, the will and the, the goal of, of doing something with an impact. So that really impacts every step of the way from data collection to, to the way you perform your analysis and the way you um, validate yourself. 
um, and the way you collect data for your validations. So that affects every step of the way. And, uh, and I really enjoyed my PhD, but I was also kind of lacking this more of a structured way of working so that I can see for every thing that I'm working on a beginning and an end and understand that I mean, I could spend days during my PhD thinking about an idea, reading about it. And, and that's something that I enjoyed, but I coming to the end of my PhD, I already wanted to do something that, that really converges into an applicable end. Um, and, 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 I'm using, and really I use the word of the, the term of scaling up back then before I even knew what the industry is like, and because I felt that this is the type of change that I want to do, um, both um, with proteomics that I feel like is really, has really gone through, there's been a really a, a big accumulation of proteomic, clinical proteomic data, but really revolving around this um, basics research area. And, and it's really, the best timing to take it forward. Um, but also for me that I enjoyed, and this is what I wanted. I enjoyed learning a new domain and being an expert in this domain and being creative from this domain upward. Um, and, but I want to take this fluidity and make it, um, and crystallize a bit. So that's what I meant at least by scaling up. Eran, you you working and and naturally naturally interested like naturally um, a curious person, okay? So and working with with breeding scientists and, and that go in depth in depth on ideas and develop those crazy ideas like Gali and 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 really um, having mass like massive numbers of opportunities coming up all the time. How do you take this? great science and just you know shape it into a product in in a company-wide like point of view i think this is one of our uh, major challenges is how to stay in focus and how to stay in in a, a measurable science uh, manner i think that uh, that's the major problem with research-based or research-centered companies that don't have a, a known ground truth. And what we're investing uh, uh, from the start of the company is to create focus and to ask questions that are verifiable, that data can solve, that we can measure the success and the improvement of these uh, questions, such as uh, predictions that we can uh, also close the loop of the prediction using our lab work or different data holdout data sets and we simulate the biological problem as an engineering and data science problem and uh, that is I think part of the uh, main enablers to both increase velocity and create measurable uh, questions and measurable science that enables us to constantly improve. And, uh, but we constantly have the word, like the conversation, uh, like me and Gali that, yeah, that's not interesting. Quit doing that. And it's sometimes uh, frustrating because uh, scientists love to go in depth and you don't only always have the privilege, but something we invested on early on in the company is to create an infrastructure that enables to increase the velocity also of the research. So just a, a story that uh, Gali told us uh, on the first day of Prototype was that it, it took her, I think, uh, three and a half months to analyze all of her uh, glioblastoma data from her PhD uh, using one computer, one server, uh, and uh, working with a public uh, software called MaxQuant. Uh, from uh, open source, you know, academia-based software. And just by moving this to the cloud, using the uh, power of, uh, of compute from uh, GCP and uh, working not in a linear manner, but containerizing uh, many instances of the same software, we could take this from three months to three days of analysis. And once you do analysis that is 
higher velocity rates already hours. And once you can do the intervals of the analysis and the research much, much faster, it also improves the velocity and the scale that is possible to, to be done. And this infrastructure is not something that is sustainable once you're in the academia. So that's one thing that we invest in and we have a, a DevOps engineering team that only uh, works on these solving such uh, problems and improving the velocity of the research teams. Uh, but I think the, the most uh, unique asset comes from asking the right questions and uh, focusing on only them and putting, as I said before, putting several different uh, angles on solving the same problem, not just one person that goes and does his PhD, but working at, at the, or tackling the problem as a team of people, that everyone give, gives a fresh uh, angle about what's the right uh, uh, method to, to uh, solve a specific uh, question. And this enables us to scale both in terms of data amounts and uh, questions we solve, and uh, enables us to see to, to look in. The, so, if in a PhD, uh, uh, someone in four years works on one data set, we we like to say that we do uh, like three or four PhDs every month, and this enables us to do. Uh, to create a launchpad for better uh, drug discovery and development processes going forward because we have unique insights that we couldn't have or that could could be raised from uh, academia, but will take tens of years if even they will be pursued. So it's a, it, that's the main way we take, like we create scale. And also uh, the scale comes from the platform that constantly creates more and more and more insights. And, and it's, a, it's a loop that uh, we actually now have more unique validated targets and response predictions that we can even pursue. And that's why we our business model is to combine uh, things and assets that we develop ourselves using this launchpad for better uh, biological insights and partner, partnerships with uh, pharma companies on specific targets that from day one we we decided to partner with pharma companies on so because there, that's also a, a way to scale the amount of uh, targets we can uh, pursue in a specific portfolio uh, that said we don't want too much also so we, we want to uh, leave it in a in a high one digit number of programs in the same time because we also believe and uh, we come from unit 81 and not unit uh, uh, 8200. And our belief is a uh, boutique. So we also want to uh, uh, do up to 10 programs at the same time and not like the hundreds. And uh, that's part of the challenge and how to really choose the right program that we, we think are magnificent and not only so-so. So that's that's a big part of uh, Gali's job in day-to-day -day is to how to really nominate the best targets uh, from the data, to, to squeeze the data to, to give us better uh, insights. And you're, you're uh, focused on, on cancer, right? So one type of cancer or all across the board? No, so we're pan-cancer, I think, uh, as Gali, following Gali's words from earlier, we're mainly looking into cancers that don't have a specific genetic driver that's common for all the for all the population. And we're trying to tackle this blue ocean of patients, the 80% that are currently not eligible for a targeted therapy, and try to find new assets using the protogenomic uh, angle. Uh, because we understand they don't have a specific uh, genomic driver that can be tackled, and this uh, enables us also to to go, to ride or to uh, swim in blue ocean of uh, therapeutic uh, areas, because most of the pharma companies are crowded into the twenty percent that are easy, and by going to the tough, complex eighty percent. It's a very complex and tough uh, challenge to take on ourselves, 
but it's also a high risk, high reward. And so uh, the, the main cancers are the cancers that don't have. So it's, uh, for example, ovarian cancer, uh, pancreas cancer, CRC, um, and the breast can- triple negative breast cancer that don't have currently a very strong targeted therapies. And we think that we have an advantage. Going forward, we're also working on Uh, we're also planning to go to other diseases, complex diseases that proteomics has a, a unique uh, proposition around. So the main two are autoimmune diseases that also lack uh, specific genomic uh, differentiation characteristics and uh, neurodegenerative diseases. So if I take uh, uh, the future, once we, we become uh, not only a small uh, data-driven, intelligence-driven pharma company, but the large one, we want to have all three avenues of uh, business that we think uh, can benefit from such a platform and such a simulation on the protogenomic uh, level. So I do want to add just one more comment regarding the, the scaling up, so really to make it more of a grounded term. So I think that the scaling up is both a blessing and a curse, I would say, because really going into the industry and from a, a vast experience of one year, uh, what I can now say is that really you have the opportunity to ask any question you want if you see really an, an operative end to it and collect the data you want and, and kind of apply um, every tool in the toolbox and outside of it. Um, and that's amazing, but that also forces you to focus. And that forces you to really on a, very intensively on a, and consistently on a daily basis to ask yourself whether you're in the direction that you want it to be at and whether this direction is going in, in a way that uh, is going to succeed. Um, and that's really, like Iran mentioned, is really one of, of our, my day-to-day job to really make sure that this is where I'm going and this is where the company is going. Um, so... Um, just wanted to comment on that. And I really wanted to add just on top of that, um, that one of the things that Prota is, is majoring in is really to do this task management in a very intensive way. So um, in order to really to answer that need of, of focusing and delivering, we have a very, um, really from day one, we have a very um, um, kind of uh, intensive or intense method of, of validating ourselves and, and managing our tasks and our schedules. Um, and this may be in the form of a, a, a daily meeting where we update each other and we reprioritize things that need to be reprioritized. And it can be in the biweekly meetings where we have kind of a more of a large forum meetings uh, where we see kind of things that, that whose progress is slower. Um, and so what eventually the, the result of this process I, I, is that even if we make mistakes, we make them very fast and we utilize them very quickly, very quickly to learn from them and to move forward not doing those mistakes. Uh, so that's something that's for me is very different from what I've been doing before. I, I mean, in, in academia, I could have done something for two months and only at that time realized that it wasn't important. So but, but you've done this before. Happen. But you've done this before, and this is like it's amazing because you probably I don't know how you did this, but you read my la- my my last note here is that <laughs> you mentioned both of you mentioned that the common denominator for for people in in port AI is for the profile of people you're looking is people with uh, with intelligent core background. And one thing as as I've done research in, at UCSF, one of the leading medical medical uh, universities in the US and not the world. And one element that is missing here and we are bringing you're bringing from from intelligent core I've bring from I've been in, in in army regular army is debrief. okay You talk about your mistakes, you talk about them in in front of everyone, get feedback, learn and do better. You're not insanity is doing the same expecting different results right so we're not insane we're talking about our failures and it's something that's not part of the culture here and in academia in general but I, I felt it more in in the US and and this is exactly what you mentioned now you 
you make mistakes and you make them fast because you talk about them, you air them out and you learn from them in order to make better uh, on the other end. And this is something that I think in a weird parallel dimension, if I would go in a wormhole and go somewhere and be a PI, we will start by establishing a fuck up night, like a department long fuck up night. <laughs> Everyone gets on the stage to like talk about their their failed experiments and and have a failure wall. Like I, <laughs> I I mixed up my tubes, really small failures, and learn from that and be better. And and I think that's that's amazing. That's 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 I, I think that's one of the bases there for your pyramid of success. Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, it's also very, it's very common uh, to do Scrum and Agile work in high-tech industry and development, but many, many, like only a few uh, handful of companies do it in, in biotech and in tech bio companies. And this is something we mastered also in our high-tech careers. And uh, we think it's uh, it's a main way to, to achieve a velocity yeah that and people that are you know a with sense of urgency is part of our uh, belief that time is patience and we we do uh, we we also work very hard uh, but the combination of hard work and uh, measuring ourselves and uh, working in uh, small short intervals is yeah as you said i think a good recipe for success yeah I attended today a product management workshop done uh, by the one who leads this course. And she she trained on this and she did all the courses and she certified. And I asked, what is the biotech parallel for what uh, for waterfall, for agile? And she was like, I have no idea what those, what those terms are. And she's a certified product manager in biotech. And I was like, you know what? That's I, I see my wife, she is in tech. And I saw how she works with Jira and and all of those and, and, and exchanging information. Why are we not doing this? Like this is, we have Trello, we can do this in the lab, we can whatever, just exchange our like idea and failures and make things better and not reinvent the wheel every time. Uh, great, really that was, an amazing conversation really both of you are are great and i think that like I, i'm confident that in the next couple of years we're going to have some great uh insights into uh new therapies because a hard problem needs brilliant people to tackle it and passionate people and you got it and really 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 thank you for your time it has been a pleasure and i think everyone that will listen just can benefit it from this greatly Thank you. Thank you for having us. It's really been a pleasure. Thank you, Ofer. Uh, have a good night. <laughs>